coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. So what do you think about that, Bill? What do you think about someone being left in a basket, in a blanket, on the church doorsteps? Take us in. We have rode the orphan train. Take us in. We need a home. We need a name. Take us in, or won't you be our kin? I am the foster and adoption church liaison. Here in the state of North Carolina, there are over 17,000 children in the foster care system currently. Wow, that's great. Can you say that again? Because that, that's powerful. That's powerful. God's not calling everybody to bring a child into their life. However, He does call everybody to do something. Mark, how do you find common ground with people that are different or see things different? I love them. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, Even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you saying thank you for all of your grace and mercy, and just thank you for all that you do for us. God, the older I get and the longer my walk with you, the more time I spend with you, the more I realize that how did I do it without you? And how could I do it without you? We thank you for all the many guests that we have over the months and going on years. And we just thank you for grace and mercy because we know it's you, not us, that makes this whole podcast successful. God, we continue to thank you for your wisdom and your understanding and your power. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up uh, the ministry that we're going to talk about today. It involves orphans and homeless children. Uh, it's been around since uh, the 1800s, Lord, uh, and it's in our local community in Thomasville. It's actually throughout the state now. Lord, thank you for that ministry. Thank you for taking care of the orphans. Uh, they have uh, such a difficult time, uh, Lord, and we just ask your hands and blessings on them and on the ministries and the teachers of the orphanage. Amen. God, I just give you thanks and praise for this ministry. God, just how you've laid it on these men's heart to um, just be a light, to be uh, a beacon, to just share the good news through this medium. And Lord, I just thank you and praise you for just how you have blessed it, how you have expanded its territory. Lord, just the the prayer of Jabez just, um, uh, just absolutely just comes to mind whenever I think about common ground. So God, I just pray that you would continue to bless it. Just continue to extend their borders. And Lord, I just pray for this time that Lord, you would speak 
God, that hearts would be receptive and fertile, and that, God, that your Holy Spirit would do the work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, Odell, how are you doing this morning? Doing pretty good, Bill. Doing pretty good. You know, life is good for the good-looking black guy who's down 55 pounds. Not that anyone asked me, Odell, how much weight have you lost? Not that anyone asked me that. I know that anyone didn't ask me, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you have to just give yourself a little credit, Bill. You have to give yourself a little credit. Well, I'm proud of you, man. I saw a picture of you on Facebook and I go, who is that good looking black man? I don't know. I don't recognize him anymore. You know, it's interesting you would say that. I have uh, been to certain business meetings and I walked in and I don't know what it says, Bill, but people are like, I didn't recognize you. I didn't know that was you. Now, of course, you know, I'm the black man with the mask on, of course. So they didn't see me with the mask on, but even that, they just didn't see me. You know, it's interesting when you start talking about uh, not seeing an individual, even though they're in plain sight. I know that the Bible talks about widows or orphans in James. And I know that for a long time, it was a tradition that if folks had uh, challenges with their children, uh, it's been known, they've been known to leave the child in a basket on the church's steps. And, you know, we went away from that, but we're right back. And the day's guests never went away from that. This organization is doing a tremendous job. So what do you think about that, Bill? What do you think about someone being left in a basket, in a blanket, on the church doorsteps? You know, that's, that's hard for me to comprehend because I come from eight kids and we had 66 first cousins. Now, there are a couple of them we probably would have wanted to do that to, but... Uh, <laughs> But the uh, but, you know, we loved all those kids and, and with all the all the things we got into trouble with and misbehave. And, you know, it's hard. It, it must be a very desperate uh, person that has to give up a child. And uh, and the uh, you know, we adopted two kids, Dory and I did. Uh, and uh, one of them was uh, one of them was on the lady was on her way to abort him when she changed her mind. So we've kind of understand some of that, you know, we've got our speaker today. He's going to be a speaker at our summit on November 4th. And uh, he's his topic. I'm going to let him talk about his topic, but it's, it's from the Baptist children's home, uh, which has been around since 18, I think 87 or 85. And, uh, and it's now throughout the state. And uh, it's quite an organization. I went on there, their website. It's a fairly large organization, financially pretty secure. A couple of their board members I know from scouting there, Bill Body, who's uh, one of our council presidents is on their board. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, this thing comes around full circle for me. Um, and uh, folks, if you want to listen to the summit, if you want to come to the summit, it's in Greensboro, November 4th at GTCC. And if you can't make it, we have a Zoom opportunities. So you can listen to all the speakers, the ones you want. You can go to our website, uh, youthofnc.com, and uh, it's already set up. You can sign up, pay your money, and get yourself a slot. And uh, so there's my advertising. But I'll tell you about something about the orphanage. Uh, and uh, two, th- two stories, Odell. One was uh, Dory's grandfather, Judge York, uh, has a building at the Baptist Children's Home in Thomasville. I think it's Dior Cottage. And I've never been to it. We've driven by the, uh, when we go to Lake House, we drive by the orphanage, but we never stopped in to see the cottage. So at some point, I think 
Dory would like to go do that. I don't think she's ever seen it. And the second thing was about two weeks ago, I was up in Appalachian mountains with Dr. Walt Farr and uh, we're staying at his house and he took us around and showed us some sites. And we actually walked on the Appalachia trail for about three miles. And on the way back, there was a stop called, I think it's a 19 is the stop and it's, it's a hostel. So people can, you know, get a shower and if there's weather they can get out of it and they feed them. It's, it also has a little a brewery and uh, in the back is an old dance hall. I mean, this thing is old and we, and the rooms are all separated. So kind of a maze. And we came there to go get some lunch and uh, we heard the music in the dance hall. So we went in that dance hall and there was about 18 people in a circle, everything from bass fiddles to fiddles to harmonicas to all, basically string instruments. And, uh, and they were just jamming and everybody picked a song and sang. One of them that came up was called the orphan train. No, I had never heard of this. So I'm going to read this to you because I, I had to check it out. Uh, it says, once I had a darling mother, though I can't recall her name. I had a baby brother who I'll never see again. For the children's home is sending me on the orphan train. I'll try to find someone to take me in. Take us in. We have rode the orphan train. Take us in. We need a home. We need a name. Take us in. Or won't you be our kin? We are looking for someone to take us in. I have stolen from the poor box. I've begged the city streets. I've swabbed the bars and pool holes for a little bite to eat in my daddy, old green jacket, these rags upon my feet. I've been looking for someone to take me in the children's home gathered us up and on all the rest and taught us to sit quietly until the food was blessed. Then they would put us on the orphan train and send us out West to try and find someone to take us in the farmers and their families. They came from miles around. We lined up on the platform of the station in each town. And one by one, we parted like some living lost and found. And one by one, we were all taken in. So I decided, is this, is this a real thing? So I thank goodness for Google. I Googled it and it said the orphan train was a brainchild of uh, Charles Lorning Brace, a minister who was troubled by the large number of homeless impoverished children in New York. A massive influx of new immigrants, sound familiar, uh, had crowded the city in a series of financial panics and depressions in the late 1900. The orphan train was created in 1854. It introduced 1854 and ran to 1929. It was to rescue poor people and take them out to, into the country. I never knew that existed. No, neither did I until you said the only thing we really knew about orphans in Charleston, South Carolina, where I grew up, it's an orphan called Jenkins Orphanage. It's an orphanage called Jenkins Orphanage. Uh, and they have a tradition uh, of taking care of black kids for years, for years. So it's well known and everything else. So, you know, it's one of those things, Bill, when you think about it, it's the church, it's the ministers, it's the church. And at one time, it was the church's responsibility to take care of those who were down in their luck and impoverished. It wasn't the government's responsibility. Now, I'm a red-blooded um, American who's a Democrat, who if you cut me, I believe Democrat blue. You know, I'm not the biggest Biden fan, but you know, we're not gonna get into that. But at the same time, um, I think it's a place for government and I think it's a place for the church. 
And sometimes, not always, sometimes the church backs away from our place. And sometimes, not always, the government bullies in on places that they shouldn't be. So that's kind of where we are. But, you know, enough of what Odell and Bill has to say, and they didn't let us sing, and they didn't let us uh, come to the circle and all that kind of good stuff, Bill. Did you sing? Did you? What did you do in the dance hall? Well, we just listened to him. We just listened to him. And uh, um, we, they asked, you know, they passed music sheets around. So we were at, so, sing along if they had a song. You know, they would sing uh, My Home is Carolina and things like that, you know, and, uh, some country songs. It was definitely, it was uh, no, not country. It was more uh, Appalachian songs. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, though, Odell, there was, there was not one black person in that room. Oh, are you surprised? <laughs> now, that's not good or bad, Bill. Some rooms, black people don't want to be the only black person in. Trust me. Yeah. So, some rooms, I don't want to be. That's like, nah, I'm good. not going in I'm there. I'm good. I'm good, Bill. I don't hey. need to go in there because, hey. you know, you don't want to go in certain rooms. Hey, you know, it's interesting that we there's a room that the kids would go and rest. They had a pool table and and uh, board games and stuff. And I think they might even had a TV, uh, but uh, the whole wall was like a chalkboard, uh-huh. like a whiteboard. And they had it laid out uh, that everybody s- signed their name and where they were from and how many days they'd been on the trail. There were 600 names on that. Wow. And wow. it was interesting. They didn't ask anybody their race or gender. It was all about the person. It was all about the, the journey. It was all about the journey. Well, listen, let's let's bring our guest in, uh, Mark Smith. Uh, Mark, your official title at the Baptist Children's Hospital home is what? I am the foster and adoption church liaison. Okay. So what does that what does that mean and what do you do? Well, uh, first of all, um, guys, just thank you all so very much for allowing me to be here. What a privilege. Uh, Got a chance to meet Odell back several months ago there at his church uh, in Greensboro and just felt a kindred spirit with him. And so it's just great to be here. And it's a part of such a, a wonderful ministry that you guys have. Thank you. But my responsibility at the Baptist Children's Home is to help our churches here in North Carolina, help them understand, number one, the great need when it comes to uh, the foster crisis that we're in here in our state. Uh, just understand uh, what it looks like, uh, help them to not just look at numbers, but to really to really understand, too, that there are people associated with every single number that uh, is recorded as far as the number of foster children in our state. But then also, too, to help them take the next steps into uh, beginning to be a part of this crisis, to be able to uh, be the salt and light in this um, very sad situation that we find ourselves in. And to partner with the Baptist Children's Home to be able to address this this crisis that we're in. Do you find uh, uh, for foster uh, an entire family of children come in or is it individuals? It's a gambit. Uh, It could be just a single child. It could be sibling groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's uh, it's and and it could be any age as well. Uh, Typically, though, what we see most of all are older children. Okay. Older children. And when you say older, what does that mean? Uh, that could mean, uh, you know, anywhere from, uh, you know, older preschool, older preschool, and then uh, straight on up into teenage years. Okay. Okay. And, and how many uh, foster 
children do you place? Well, here in the state of North Carolina, there are over 17,000 children in the foster care system currently. The way that I know that is that I go to a website called CAFO.org, and CAFO is an acronym for Christian Alliance for Orphans. It's a national Christian organization, and they, um, they have communication with each state here in the United States uh, to really get information from the local DSSs. How many children are there in North Carolina that are in DSS custody? And if you, if you can well imagine that uh, CAFO being a Christian national organization trying to uh, get information from a government entity could be a challenge, as well it would be, you could imagine so. But then at the same time, we have to also have to understand that the children coming in and out of foster care changes every day anyway. So to say that 17,039 children are in the foster care system, you know, just to say it is exactly that number, I, I'm afraid that I wouldn't be able to say that. However, I have spoken with quite a number of DSS folks here in our state, and they easily say, okay, yeah, you're in the ballpark. Wow. And so I hang on to that number just to be able to help people wrap their minds around what this crisis looks like. Yeah, that's that's a tremendous number of people uh, to be placed in foster care. So when they're not in, if they're not placed in foster care with a family, they, they come to your home? to the uh, Baptist home? Well, when they get when they get pulled out of their home, when this child is uh, in a situation perhaps where a family is um, just just hit perhaps rock bottom, let me just maybe kind of phrase it like that. When when DSS has to come in and and take that child from that family, whether it be in a, an abusive situation, whether it be a, um, uh, a neglect or perhaps there's drugs in the home or, or maybe even worse, perhaps there, there could be a death of a parent. I mean, it, it could be any number of reasons, but DSS will take that child and that child is in DSS custody at that point. They're the custodial. They are the custodial. That's correct. And so what Baptist Children's Home, we are a private institution that uh, a ministry, I should say, really, we're a private ministry that DSS will call and say, hey, we have this child and it's it's in it's located in such and such county. And so do you have, and they'll ask us two questions. First, they'll ask us, do you have a room in your cottages? The Baptist Children's Home, as, as you can well imagine for you know, well over 130 years, that has been the staple of the Baptist Children's Home's ministry is cottage care, orphan care through our cottage ministries. And basically what this cottage is, it's a huge house that's got multiple bedrooms. They have house parents who come in on a rotational basis and care for these, these orphan children. And so they'll ask us that question first, hey, do you have a bed or do you have space? And of course, if we do, obviously that child is welcomed. However, if there's a situation where they're calling and, and we don't have space at that time, because again, these, these numbers, they, these children go in and out so quickly. Um, we also have been given the privilege by the state of North Carolina to actually train foster, train families to be foster licensed um, caregivers for these foster children. And so we, we have kind of this, um, this ministry called Every Child that we have our own trainers who actually will go to churches, will go to individuals' uh, homes from those churches, 
and, and do the training to get them licensed so that they can actually receive that child into their home. So that's that's kind of how that works. DSS is the, is the custodian, and we're a partner with DSS to bring that child into a loving, caring home to, to bring it safety. But most importantly, our goal is to give them an opportunity um, to hear the gospel, to hear about Jesus Christ, and to uh, and to place them in a home or in a, uh, in a in a in a church member's home or even on our one of our campuses, that they have the, the privilege and the and the and the chance to know who Jesus Christ is. Very good. Now we talked earlier. I asked you earlier uh, when we were, before we started the show. Do you allow um, LBGQ in the rest of those letters into your into the orphanage and uh and uh, i want to also uh, non-christians do you let them in as far as a child is concerned this this is a, a a child that has been made in the image of god so when that child is pulled out of a home regardless of uh of what they consider themselves gender race it doesn't matter but to us this is an image bearer of the king and if that child is an orphan, if that child has been placed in DSS custody, then we want to be a part of their lives. However, when it does come to the LBG community and somebody wants to be licensed through us, we exclusively work through the local church. And even though we have Baptist in our name, the Baptist Children's Home, uh, we will work with any gospel-centered, conservative, Bible-believing church. That, that, is, that is who we have placed ourselves uh, in alignment with, because we know as long as they're conservative and gospel-centered, that they're going to be adhering to um, uh, the scriptures and what God says as far as what a believer should, uh, uh, should embody and, and what their actions should be, because uh, we want to work with those, those believers in their churches who are having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, because we know that even though this child may have many, many needs, the one need that they need most of all is to know who Christ is. Amen. Amen. Well said. Uh, a couple other random things. Yes. Uh, our family, through my wife, whose last maiden name was York, her grandfather actually has a cottage, the one in Thomasville, I think called the York Cottage. And at some point, I want to come out there with the family and, and see that. You're going to be talking at our summit. Do you want to share a little bit of a topic that you're going to talk about? Absolutely. And it's going to be such a privilege to uh, get a chance to speak at the summit uh, coming up in just actually just a few weeks. Yeah, November 4th. Yeah. Um, what I really want to just kind of help bring awareness to the foster care crisis here in North Carolina, as far as... Uh, what it looks like as, as far as how we compare to other states here in the United States, uh, based on our population, we are we have probably the eighth, we're, we're listed eighth when it comes to having the most children based on our population here in the United States. The 17,039 children is extraordinarily high. And so just to bring awareness of the, of the crisis that we have. But then as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, what is he expecting us to do? You know, we, we talk about governments and their responsibilities and the church and their responsibilities. I know Odell kind of brought that up just a few minutes ago. Um, you know, the, the government, I praise the Lord that the government does what they do. DSS is a part of our government. And I, I give God the praise that uh, they're in place because they are the institution that can 
um, find out about these hor- horrific situations that children are going through and get them out of it. Yeah. Um, and they they have the authority to do that. And so God's the one who gives them that authority. Uh, so I praise the Lord for that. You know, Romans 13. But then on the other side of that, that child, once it's in custody, um, one of the things I want to just help folks understand when, when they come to the summit is, is just how God looks at this child. What, what is his feelings about this? Uh, and he's got some very strong feelings when it comes to the, the, the orphan, the widow, those who are vulnerable. He is um, he's a compassionate God. And matter of fact, in, in um, uh, if I may just share a scripture. Would sure. that be okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in Exodus 22, um, it, you know, God there in Exodus 20 has just presented himself there at Mount Sinai. And he's spoken to his children, Israel, after they have uh, made their way out of slavery in Egypt. And in chapter 22, he's kind of talking to them about, OK, this is what it looks like to, to be my children, to be a follower of me. And he says very plainly in verse 22 of chapter 22 of Exodus, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. I mean, I just I just stop right there and just think about the promise right there that God has given those who feel like that they have no voice. Mm. Wow. And then verse 22 kind of just, I think, puts the cap on the whole thing and brings the seriousness of it all. Do not, verse 22 says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless, because if you do, they cry out to me. Uh, I will certainly hear their cry, verse 24. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Now he's talking to the children of Israel there. Mm-hmm. I think he's driving home a very specific point that the people who who feel like they have no voice, the people who are vulnerable, we need to be compassionate like he is compassionate. In Psalm 68, he says that he is the father to the fatherless. In James 127, he's he's using James to communicate to uh, to us as believers. Hey, what's your religion look like? Well, it's it's coming alongside those who are vulnerable, the widows and the orphan, and to help them in their time of distress. So that's I want to help people understand here at the summit what the problem is, what God's heartbeat is, but then what we're trying to do about it at the same time. And we as believers, we have the, the greatest privilege of being able to be Christ-like in these in these lives who feel like there is no Christ anywhere. Yeah. And we get a chance to show up and be salt and light. That's fantastic. You know, you, you made me think of a number of things as you were reading that scripture. One is the Israel Israelites were homeless. They were orphans. They were orphans as a nation. And the other thing is... Um, I read a book um, and it was uh, same kind of different as me. And it was about uh, a, a black man that was uh, homeless and good looking and, black man, Bill, or just a black man. You know, I, I, I think he was good looking. Okay. Just want to be good sure. looking as you, but I think yeah, okay. I just want to make sure, you know, and, uh, but one of his sayings, he was illiterate and he was a slave basically uh, on a, farm in Alabama and he escaped. This was in the sixties, not that long ago. And, uh, and he got himself in a lot of trouble and it's a great book if you want to get a read on it. But one of the things he did, he started doing little pieces of artwork and, and, uh, 
I've got one that I, I purchased and from him. Um, and uh, it's in his handwriting and misspelled, but his saying was, we are all homeless and orphans just trying to find our way home. Wow. Wow. And I started thinking about that and uh, he's right. Where we're at isn't our home. We're supposed to be in heaven with God. So we're all orphans. You know, Bill, that's a great point. Now, Mark, one of the things, you know, you'd go through it. I'm going through it right now with the church as far as budgets and answering phone calls and, you know, the boss is calling now. Mark, you're the boss. You know, I know you have board of directors. How hard is it when it's budget time? Because let me explain my situation. In a lot of cases, you're trying to help families, of course. And that's one end of the stressor. Then the other side, you're trying to justify what you're doing to the board of directors. That's another stressor. And you have over 30, I think it was 30 locations. And everybody needs to understand that we know Mark has a money tree in the backyard, but how do you make sure that you balance all that, sir? Because, you know, it's a big deal. Well, one of the things that we want to make sure that um, we're very clear in communicating, especially to our board of directors, um, are stories. Uh, helping them see that all this effort, all these locations, all this investment, uh, that, that there are things happening and God is at the, he's moving, he's blessing. He's actually doing something through us. Not that we're doing it, right? but that we're just instruments in his hands and he's allowing us the privilege of partnering with him to wow. make an impact. Wow. That's great. Can you say that again? Cause that that's powerful. That's powerful. <laughs> it, it's well, honestly, bottom line is it's not about us. It's not about us who are employees or, or doing these specific jobs. It's about just a being just yielding ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to let him be the one who moves through us because he's the only one who can make any real change in a person's life. You know, as you were talking um, about, you know, the cottages and the kids, you know, I just I'm a big volunteer with the Boy Scouts and we just came through this huge uh, sexual abuse case. How do you have protection so the kids aren't abused? Oh, yeah. Not just sexually, but verbally and physically. Yeah. We have quite uh, an extensive training program. Um, and really, it's kind of on two levels. One is first would be through our cottages. We have, we have to be accredited by a national organization for foster care. And so there are quite the number of, of hoops and, and stipulations that we had to adhere to. Uh, so there are, uh, there's just constant number of trainings as uh, when it comes to the cottage care where, with our uh, house parents, with uh, folks who are doing residential care through us, um, that, that we, we, we stay very, very tight with them to make sure that uh, we can be proactive instead of having to be reactive. And, and obviously there's things that happen and so we have to deal with them accordingly. Now, there's also the other level of the training that we do, and that's with, with church members who desire to uh, go through the foster training and, and then um, be eligible, get their license so that they can bring children into their home. Now, that training also has quite a number of stipulations and uh, a lot of things, a lot of hoops that they have to, have to jump through. And so we want to do our due diligence on the front end to make sure that we are presenting uh, to the state of North Carolina, to, to a local DSS, that we're saying, hey, we're standing behind this family. And as a matter of fact, we, we don't just say we're standing behind them. 
we really stand behind them. We stand beside them and we even stand in front of them because we don't just say, okay, do the best you can when it comes to bringing this foster child into their home. We are right there with them every single step of the way. We have, uh, we do our training, we get them as prepared as possible, but then we also have case managers who are very hands-on when it comes to helping these foster families thrive and be successful. So just to kind of help you understand where, where we are just, very hypersensitive to, yes, problems can can arise in no time, but yet we want to be proactive as best po- as possible. You know, you made a great point because there's no such thing as a problem child. You talk about problems, and in a lot of cases, the children who enter your program have had certain experiences in, lives, in their lives that are creating challenges. It's not the child. Now, you've heard Bill's testimony that when he went to select his daughter, he went in the room and he held every baby to know which one. Is it usually so much easier to for people to adopt infants? And it's a little more challenging down the road, the, early, the older the children become. Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, everybody wants a little baby. Yes. Um, and so through the Every Child Initiative, we, we're just kind of at the at the mercy as far as what what you know, how DSS works to be able to pull these children. Uh, and so we want to care for not just that little baby, but also for those older older children. And part of our training and then also as part is it's also too part of our ongoing training is to help families be able to navigate these situations that um, these children, perhaps as they're getting as they get older, they experience trauma. Right. And so um, they've seen and heard and been influenced by so many different things. But our training is very tailored to help families, foster families, to be able to address those situations. But yet from a Christian, from a biblical perspective, we we don't, you know, with every child is going to be unique. But we know that especially as as the child gets older, uh, they're going to have experiences and there's going to be traumas. And so we want to be able to handle that from from God's word and to be able to share with them uh, the uh, that there's healing in uh, who with this relationship with Christ and be able to introduce them to that. But then also to be practical with just ways of handling those outbursts or or or, or those um, uh, times of, of tantrum, perhaps. So we, we do our training so that they're the family is able to, to, to handle that well. You know, one of the things that we talked about when you came and visited me, you said, Odell, it's very difficult from time to time to have stable African-American churches to get involved. What do you think the pro- what do you think that challenge is? Are you say, Odell, you're the black guy. I should be asking you. Well, actually, I, let me give you my answer. And I would, I would love to hear yours. Uh, so okay. my answer would be... I, Honestly, I think it's it doesn't matter if it's a black church, Hispanic church, white church, uh, Philip. It, it doesn't matter what nationality it is. I think the really the biggest issue is that churches. It's not that they don't know that we need to be um, taking care of the orphans and the widows. That that's not the issue. I, everybody knows that, and as a matter of fact, they, they know that when it comes to adoption, we're adopted into Christ, and so we understand the whole idea of adoption. It's not so much that they don't know. I don't think it's on their radar. 
And just so that's where this awareness piece has really just been my focus for the last year, as a matter of fact, is to just bring light, shine the spotlight. I know this, I know the spotlight is like a like a lighthouse and it's spinning around. And so it's it's hitting all sorts of different things, but at least slow that spotlight down just a just a fraction of a moment, just so that it can just, okay, let's talk about it for a minute. What are we what are we gonna do? Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Now when you start saying spotlight and juke joints and the place on the Appalachian Trail will build with the music. Next thing, Bill's going to be talking about a disco ball, you know, back into, you know, in those days. But I do agree with you. I think the African-American church or other churches are very much involved in so many different things. It has to be so much. But I think we could make space to have some of those conversations. And so I think that's the key to it, just making space to have certain conversations. And a lot of people have had positive experiences with foster care from the uh, health department. And some people have not always had positive experiences from adopting uh, children from the health department. And one of the things that people have told me over the years, and you're not the health department, Guilford County Adoption Agency, is a lot of times, Odell, when you're a foster parent, a lot of benefits and services come along with it, meaning that you have to make sure the child get to all the appointments and that's not a problem. However, once you adopt the child and you are the legal guardian of the child, all the benefits or the majority of them and the help goes away, not benefits from the individual, benefits for the child. That's the story that people have told me over the years. What do you think about that? From my perspective, uh, and it's a limited perspective, but uh, if they're if they're a parishioner, if they're a, if they're a part of my church, then wh- what else can can we do? Well, We've got we we still got the same mandate when it comes to James one twenty seven. Yes, it says that we are to if you're called to bring children into your home, whether that be through foster care, whether you are adopting them, um, we are to help the vulnerable, and we're we're to be there. And so there are those people who are called to bring children into their home, just like you just mentioned in this scenario. Right. However, that verse in James one twenty seven is talking to everybody because th- from think about it from this perspective. Not everybody is called to bring a child into their home, right. and that's okay. That's okay. That's no problem. I mean, situations, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of your, your your spot in life. I mean, circumstances. I mean, who knows what it could be? But God's not calling everybody to bring a child into their life. However, He does call everybody to do something. Because I everybody that. can I do that. I love that. That's and so there's where the church needs to wrap their arms around that that family and just say, okay, yes, we know that the government's, uh, uh, you know, all their stipends or or all their, uh, you know, all their their ministries that they were able to help with that child, they're gone now. Now we're stepping into this space because we're actually called to do that. And I think to the training that's associated with it, because you're so right. The training and education and people understanding the do's and the don't, don't. And the good, the thing about it is, a lot of the children are coming from our community. You know where? And now, did you get a lot of the? I don't want to say spillage because we're talking about individuals, but with the folks coming in from different parts of the world, um, do you? I want to say this a nice way, and I'm not always trying to be politically correct. How do you handle when people come in from, let's say, Afghanistan or somewhere else who don't understand the culture? Now, it's one thing when you relocate in a family, but it's another thing when you just have children. 
So how do you do that? And you all take children up to what age? Um, up, up to the age of 18, or, or and even there's cases where we take them even beyond 18. Um, depends on the situation, but uh, we we are no we have no we have blinders on when it comes to age and race or color. It doesn't matter. This is an image bearer of the king, and that's the only thing that matters. Uh, so we're we're about these children that they have an opportunity to know Christ. I know it sounds like a broken record, but that's really what do they need more than anything? Yeah. And that's Jesus. Odell, you 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 took in one of your cousins or nephew or a young man that was having trouble and raised him. Yes, we we do that now, family. We have a tradition of taking in family members and letting them live with you, and we just start calling everybody a cousin, you know, because everybody was raised in the same household. So we do that now, family. We've done that. Uh, let's see, me and Beverly's done that for two of our nephews. First gentleman from the age eight all the way through college. The other gentleman from high school to college and everything else. But it, that's a long tradition now, family. Beverly's grandmother's probably raised more people who were either cousins or, you know, in South Carolina, Bill, Black folk, we go at first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, fourth cousin. We just keep counting as long as we can. Then you realize nobody's a cousin and everybody's a cousin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you draw the line? You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I, we adopted two, uh, one from Bridgeport, Connecticut as an infant. And then Jessa was about uh, six months when I met her in Poland. Uh, but it took three months for her to get over here, uh, cause of all the red tape. And, uh, our kids went to Caldwell Academy and there were two girls from, I want to say Korea or Japan or Thailand, but uh, they're sisters. They weren't twins, but they're sisters. And they were studying as exchange students here and they needed a place to stay. And so we had an extra bedroom that two bedrooms that uh, shared a bathroom and so oh, let's let them move in with us. We'll take care of them for the, for the year, school year. And uh, they didn't speak uh, much English. It was, which was kind of interesting, but I had a very difficult time relating to them. And, and I'll tell you what it was. It, it wasn't they were bad kids, not at all. It was me because I, I couldn't talk to them. I couldn't share my sense of humor or my personality because we didn't communicate. We couldn't communicate because I didn't speak their languages and they barely spoke mine. So it made it very difficult to say, hey, let's go out for a walk. And during the walk, have a conversation about what do you think of America? What do you think of our grocery stores? What do you think of your school? How are things going? You know, what can I do to help you? I couldn't have those conversations because the language barrier. And over a period of time, it broke down our relationship to the point they had to move out. And How old were the bill? Uh, they were teenagers, probably in uh, ninth or 10th grade. Well, you know, teenagers in general have these hormones that make them that's that's every teenager but go ahead i'm, I'm with you no it, i agree with you I, I i you know you and i are probably perfect teenagers so we don't don't have a hard time to relate to that right well we have to put mark in there too though we have to put <laughs> mark was too yeah in there you know he was a part of that perfect teenager thing too <laughs> i was actually a youth pastor for about 20 years so yeah i'm with oh you. my gosh you got stories <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, now, is everyone, can you remind everyone again, because a lot of our audience, we're in all the uh, states and in, I want to say 32 countries, I always get it wrong. If anyone wants to make a donation, because I know uh, Malzahn made a donation, 
how do one go about making a donation? Yes, sir. Um, we, we need help, obviously, because and, and, and yes, we need we need funds, but we also we need prayer. I would say that would be the biggest thing. But all you have to do is just go to the Baptist, just, just Google Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina. Um, you can easily find our website, uh, bch.org would maybe kind of get you pointed in the right direction there. And uh, there's plenty of tabs as far as just helping you navigate uh, where where you could make maybe perhaps make a donation. But mon- honestly, most of what we need is we need people to pray. Mm-hmm. We need wisdom. We We need the... Uh, the favor of God to really just spill out and just to use us in whatever way he desires. Yes. You know, I I was on your website and there's some videos and in particular, there's a video from, I think your CEO talking Mm -hmm. about the history of how this Baptist children's home has come through, you know, uh, it's been around 1857, I think. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, but it's come through the first pandemic, the flu, it's Mm -hmm. the civil war. Uh, and all these things, and now the most recent coronavirus, yeah. and you're still there bringing That's kids, right. bringing kids up, and yeah. taking care of them. Yeah, Dr. Blackwell, uh, Michael, Dr. Bla- Michael Blackwell, he's uh, he's been at the helm as the uh, uh, chief encouraging officer, as he likes to call himself, for almost 40 years. Wow. Um, he has been the mainstay <laughs> for the Baptist Children's Home, a huge, tremendous advocate loves the Lord and loves these children and just wants to see God permeate in their lives. Wow. That's a great story. So Bill, can you remind the audience what Mark is going to be talking about at Guilford Technical Community College? I know that we mentioned GTCC, but for some of the audience, they might not know what GTCC stands for. So it's Guilford Technical Community College, where you could hear the great Dr. Reverend Mark Smith. Yes, and he's going to be talking about diversity and foster care. That's the subject. And by the way, GTCC, it's the Cameron Conference uh, Campus, which is over by the Triad Airport uh, that it's going to be doing. It's starting in the morning. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be talking about diversity and foster care. So we're excited to get that. Again, Mark, because you know people join us late, the program. You, again, I know you already did it, but can you just talk a little bit about diversity and foster care and what's that about? Yeah, um, really looking forward to getting a chance just to interact with folks about what this is, but it's um, it's bottom line, just helping people see that, um, that these children who are in the care and the custody of the local DSS, uh, the, the, it doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter how old they are. It really makes no difference. The, these children are in dire straits. Um, and, but, and, but at the same time, too, we also want to help churches, and, and we want to help churches understand what, what this problem is and, and know that, that God has given us the privilege, but also the obligation to address the problem, this crisis. But also, too, churches will have a, a wonderful opportunity, and people who, who want to partner with the Baptist Children's Home to be a solution to this problem— this, this child that we have that would be brought into somebody's home, always remember, there's somebody else tied to that child. There's right. other family members. And most likely because of they're in the situations that they're in, um, you know, they, they may not have a, a voice in their life that is able to, to speak to them in love and caring and, and be able to, um, uh, just to be able to wrap their arms around them. So, so not only does this child need to have these loving and caring homes, 
they're biological parents associated with these children too. And so there's just part of the, the mission opportunity that we get whenever we're talking about orphan care. It's, it's not just about the child. It is about the child a lot. Let me ask a question because then your name is Baptist and we are Baptist church. Do you have to be a Baptist church to participate? You do not. You have to be gospel-centered, conservative, uh, adhering to God's word, that you are you are scripturally focused on what he, he says the church needs to be. So, no, we, we work with all denominations. Well, that brings up the question toward the end here is, Mark, how do you find common ground with people that are different or see things different? Yeah, I love them, regardless of what they're uh, what they look at, however they look at themselves, whether it be through the lens of homosexuality or um, uh, transgender or or what, whatever it is that that they feel like that um, uh, is is what they want to identify themselves with. Uh, I see them as, and I hope as as best I can as God sees them. Mm. They're 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 creation of the Maker, mm. so I want to treat them with respect. I want to I want to give them time and space to 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 talk with me and and I want to get to know them. I'm not going to shun them at all, but at the same time, I, I want them to understand where I come from and have a have a conversation around that. But but most of all, I want to just live out uh, Leviticus 19, where it says, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." Amen. Amen. Yeah, you want to have a conversation with them, engulfed in love. Yes, that's right. That's what you want. It, it, Mark, it's been a joy having you on. Uh, I'm going to give Odell the last word here. And uh, it's you've enlightened us on a subject matter that we know is out there, but we don't know much about. Yeah. And if you want to learn more, folks, come to the summit. I guarantee you, you're going to come away a changed person. Well, Bill, Odell, thank you all so very much for allowing me to be here. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.